You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Let's start by actually looking at what is the Sabbath. Uh, some of us may have a very clear idea of the Sabbath, but it's certainly not a very common word in uh, our vernacular. So what is the Sabbath day? Well, obviously, Sabbath and that idea, if you've got any inkling of the uh, uh, Jewish religion, any, any exposure to the Jewish religion, you would appreciate that it was a day of worship. For the Jews, it was on a Saturday, or more officially, it would start on Friday evening, normally with a family meal and it would then continue throughout the next day and they would normally dedicate that day to reading uh, their holy scriptures and uh, sort of focusing on matters religious but one of the key features of that day for the jewish uh, people is that they do no work and in fact if you visited israel you'd appreciate that they actually take this to quite some extreme so uh, if you get into a, a lift for example uh, the lift will automatically visit every floor as you go up a high-rise building because you're not allowed to actually press a button because pressing a button could be construed, depending on how you define that, as working. So uh, there's some pretty extreme applications depending on which particular school of thought you're from in terms of the Jewish religion. Now, it's not just isolated to the Jewish religion either. Uh, there are some Christian movements which also have similar practices, maybe not to the same extreme, but uh, Seventh-day Adventists, for example, are very focused on the keeping of the Sabbath day and, and having Saturday as a, as a key day of worship. Now, I have noted there that it's Sunday or Saturday. There is some differences of opinion depending on uh, which particular group you adhere to as to when the Sabbath day should actually be observed. Uh, but generally speaking, the so-called holy day, uh, for Christians at least, uh, quite clearly sort of moved from the Saturday, uh, coming out of the Jewish type religion, to the Sunday, uh, which was obviously the day on which they remembered the resurrection of their Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, if you actually drill down into the etymology, the sort of basis for the actual word itself, the basic idea really is just the rest. Uh, so arrest and intermission or oppose, all very similar ideas. So if you're looking at the, just the definition of the word, uh, then that's really where that idea comes from. One term that we might be more familiar with is the idea of a sabbatical. Uh, so that certainly comes up in uh, some, I guess, employment-related uh, arrangements today even. Uh, the idea of a sabbatical, again, has this idea of a rest. Uh, and you might be, as, as you can see there, the definition, uh, generally sort of teaching staff and people in that sort of area, uh, they might be involved in, in having a sabbatical, which is a, a period of time, sometimes a year, of paid leave uh, where they can spend that time uh, pursuing other avenues or, actually interesting in some cases, uh, pursuing some other area that's related to their work. So, for example, in the university space, uh, sabbatical leave is very often associated with people uh, publishing articles or doing other work and, and sort of honing their, their skills and their expertise in their particular area in which they teach. So it's not just about having a break, uh, it's actually about uh, taking a break to focus on a particular uh, exercise, and, and that's certainly very appropriate uh, to the idea of the Sabbath day. All right. <clears throat> So hopefully that gives us an idea of what we mean when we talk about the idea of the Sabbath. But I guess another way in which we can try and understand what the Sabbath is all about is actually to understand the origins of the Sabbath. 
In fact, the origins origins of the Sabbath are very ancient indeed. In fact, uh, particularly from a biblical point of view, you could not get an older uh, arrangement or origin. So uh, as you can see there, we're quoting from the very first book in the Bible and pretty close to the very first chapter in that book, uh, Genesis chapter 2. And as you can see there, it's talking about the very process that God used to create the heavens and the earth. So as it says there, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. So in chapter one, it's just gone through the process of describing how the earth was created by God in the first six days. And it says that was finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And that idea of rest is the same idea as that of a Sabbath. Now, how do we know that that is the origin? Well, we'll come to that in a minute. But this is the very first time we've got this idea of uh, a rest, and particularly a rest as part of a seven-day cycle, which, of course, is the concept on which the Sabbath is based. Now, if we keep on going through in time, we find that <clears throat> a very significant mention of the Sabbath uh, is in the Ten Commandments. Now, even if you've had a very, uh, I guess, uh, superficial understanding of the Jewish code of religion, you'd probably understand or have heard of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, of course, is probably the most well-known section of Jewish law. And the Sabbath day, as you can see there, features in, not only features in those Ten Commandments, so you'd probably accept that those Ten Commandments are an encapsulation, a kernel, if you like, of the whole teaching of the law, so not only was the Sabbath day included, it's very interesting to notice the sort of point at which it was included. <clears throat> so it comes in at uh, commandment number four. And as you can see from those commandments there, uh, there basically comes in after some really important commandments, which were all focused on serving God and respecting God. So you can't get more fundamental than that. So obviously the first few commandments are all talking about you've got to believe that God exists, you've got to follow him, uh, you can't make any alternative gods, and then straight after that it talks about keeping the Sabbath day. So we start to get the impression right from the very beginning that the Sabbath day is closely associated with our appreciation of God and our respect for his uh, control over our life. So this is a theme that uh, will grow, uh, will, will develop a little bit in a minute. So uh, that's the very first sort of uh, formalization of the Sabbath uh, commandment, but let's just uh, make sure that we're correct in saying that these commandments are related to this original rest. Well, let's have a look at Exodus chapter 20. Now, Exodus chapter 20, for those uh, that uh, might not have looked at this before, Exodus 20 is actually the, the, the chapter in which the Ten Commandments are recorded. So we're given the Ten Commandments and then this is an explanation that is provided to us about how important this particular Sabbath commandment was. So it says there, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God and in it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy maidservant, thy, sorry, thy menservant, thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. So um, the first point to note there is we have our connection back to the origins of the Sabbath. So remember it says there, you, you've got to observe the Sabbath and then right at the end, why? Because God created the earth in six days 
and on the seventh day he rested. So if you had any doubt as to the connection between uh, that first quote in Genesis and the keeping of the Sabbath day, there it is. But a couple of other things to notice from that passage. Number one, notice how comprehensive that is. It's not just saying, well, rest on the Sabbath day if it's possible. It's not just saying, you rest on the Sabbath day, but whatever other people do doesn't really matter. It's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Uh, you're not allowed to work. Your son's not allowed to work. Your daughter's not allowed to work. Man, servant, maid, servant, etc. Even your animals, not allowed to work. Uh, so uh, very clear emphasis placed on this, this uh, commandment. And in fact, this is actually something that's, uh, again, the Jews sort of... Uh, I guess took a little bit liberally. Uh, in many cases, what used to happen on the Sabbath days, they'd stop working, but all their non-Jewish or non-Jewish religion uh, people were, continue, were allowed to work. So what they'd do is they'd just employ someone that wasn't of their religion uh, to work during the Sabbath day. As you can see here, not the way the law was intended to operate. So first, first observation there, of course, is very comprehensive commandment. There was no exceptions uh, to that rule. But notice the other part that comes out of this verse. First up, it says, it's the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And then it goes on to say, well, what you're actually doing is you're copying God. God worked for six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. So he then says, he's not saying God's going to rest again. He's saying, well, you've got to do the same thing. You've got to copy God. Thou shalt do no work, just the way that God did no work. So we really get an introduction right from the very beginning as to the reason why uh, the Sabbath day was created. The Sabbath day was an opportunity to become like God, to, to behave like God. And as we can see later on, it's actually more comprehensive than that. We're actually meant to be transformed into the same characteristic as God. Okay. In fact, let's just further emphasize or further uh, fill the emphasis of this uh, commandment. Let's turn to Exodus 31. Now, as you can appreciate, Exodus 31 is a little bit after Exodus 20. So Exodus 20 was when the law was first given. So if you're familiar with the story, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he's actually given these commandments uh, written on a table of stone. But Exodus 21, 20 through to 31, I should say, is basically the record of Moses when he's up that mountain. And interestingly, right at the very end, just before God finishes speaking to Moses, lo and behold, what gets mentioned again? Well, the Sabbath day. So let's have a look at Exodus 31, and particularly, let's uh, read from verse 13 uh, through to verse 18. So, reading from verse 13... <clears throat> Sorry, might help if I got Exodus. All right, Exodus 31 and verse 13. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths shall ye keep, for it is, it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am Yahweh that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Every one that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord, 
whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall be surely, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and in the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he, that is God, gave unto Moses, uh, gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of, test tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. So this is sort of the end of the, the process where uh, Moses is receiving these commandments by God. Interestingly, at the very beginning, when the Ten Commandments were given, the Sabbath is mentioned, included in those Ten Commandments. At the very end, what does God finish with? The Sabbath day. So uh, if anyone sort of studied any teaching method methods, you'd know the law of primacy and ultimacy. So the, basically the idea is that the, the things you mention first and the things you mention at the end, they're the things that people remember. Uh, so I'll give you a summary at the end so that you can remember the key points from this talk. But this is what God uses here. He basically says, no, uh, this is a key point. Um, and in fact, we'll, we'll, note, we'll understand the reason why God says this. After all the detail that he'd given in his laws, in the intervening chapters between Exodus 20 and Exodus 31, he says, you know what? The key principle, the key practice that you need to undertake so that you can appreciate and understand the greatness of these laws is the Sabbath. So really, the Sabbath was a mechanism whereby people could make sure that they actually appreciated what God's laws were all about. So that's why it was so important. Now, the other thing you'll probably notice there, in case uh, uh, it's not obvious, but number two, this was a law that was enforced on pain of death. So if you didn't keep it, it wasn't just a fine, it wasn't just uh, some sort of disadvantage, as there was for other laws in the law of Moses, this was one that was actually penalised by death. So again, another serious indication here as to how important this particular um, issue was. Now, um, the <coughs> final thing to also note here is that the commandment is eternal. It's, it's timeless. It's uh, perpetual, to use the words of Exodus 31. So he says, this is a sign, this is a law, it's a principle that is going to stay with Israel throughout time. So, um, but uh, throughout their generations, uh, verse 16 obviously refers to a perpetual covenant. So even the use of the word covenant, again, make sure that this is uh, shown to be quite a serious agreement, as the word means. So this isn't something that was just in arrangement for a, a short period of time. This was something that was meant to have an ongoing application to the nation of Israel. So for all these reasons, we're getting an impression of the importance of the concept of the Sabbath and some of the mechanics of how that worked. Well, was this rhetoric, was it just uh, sort of a euphemism that uh, the Sabbath day should actually be protected on pain of death? Well, in fact, you have to say probably one of the very first illustrations of the law of Moses being implemented and enforced was, interestingly enough, someone who broke the Sabbath day commandment. So here we've got a quotation from Numbers 15, and Numbers 15 tells the story of someone who goes out and collects sticks, gathers sticks on the Sabbath day. So as you can see there, and they found a man that gathered sticks on the Sabbath day, 
And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp, and he died as the Lord commanded. So that's a bit of an abbreviation of the process, but basically they found this man, they knew it was a serious problem, they actually went away and they spoke with God, so they presented the specific facts of this particular scenario, and they, God came back and said to them, no, this law needs to be enforced. And so, as you can see there, not only was he to be put to death, but he was also, that death sentence was actually to be enforced and implemented by the congregation themselves. So everyone that participated in that would have been left in no doubt as to the seriousness of the Sabbath day commandment and the pain of death at which God, which God had implemented. So that's just, an, again, another illustration, quite a dramatic one, of the importance of the Sabbath day. Okay. Now, you might be thinking, well, why would God be so pedantic, in some sense, uh, as some may view it, uh, to put this somewhat, uh, I guess, procedural process with such importance, give it such importance in the overall code of the Mosaic law, of the Israeli law. Why would he uh, implement that pain of death, that, that uh, death penalty in, in connection with this particular uh, sin? And particularly in the case of someone who's gathering sticks, you might think, oh, surely that's uh, just a, a minor misdemeanor, gathering sticks, got a little bit late in the evening and gathered some sticks uh, on the Sabbath day. Surely that's sort of grounds for a little bit of leniency. Well, no. God said this principle is so important that it actually needs to be reinforced in this way. Now, why? Well, basically, the Sabbath has the power and was shown to have the power to completely change people's lives. And in fact, not only so, wasn't just going to completely change people's lives it was actually going to completely change the destiny of the nation to which those people belonged obviously in this case the nation of israel so what we're going to do is we're going to now fast forward in time and we're going to go through the period where obviously uh, the mosaic law uh, was first instituted that we've been talking about when you go into the time of the kings so this is the next phase I guess you could say there was a period there of the judges, if you're familiar with your biblical history. Then we go into the period of the kings. So again, we've had some hundreds of years, uh, over a thousand years actually, of the implementation of the uh, sort of law, so to speak. Um, and we've now got to the period of the kings. Um, and again, God is talking to his people. And what does he talk to them about? He talks to them about the fact that they were not keeping the Sabbath day. So we're now going to quote from a prophet by the name of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17. And he's talking to them at the very end of the period of the kings. So he talks to them about why it was so important that they should keep the Sabbath day. Now, we're going to quote from this section in Jeremiah, but turn Jeremiah 17 up because there's a couple of things from the context that we wanted to highlight. Uh, so let's quote now from... Uh, Jeremiah 17. Sorry, I'll give you a chance to actually find it. Okay. 
So the particular part of Jeremiah 17 that we want to talk about uh, is from verse 24 and 25. And it says, And it shall come to pass, if you diligently hearken unto me, saith the Lord, to bring in no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but to hallow the Sabbath day, to do no work therein, then shall there enter into the gates of this city kings and princes sitting upon the throne of David, and this city shall remain forever. Now, to explain the context of those verses, Jeremiah was a prophet that wrote in a time period when the very existence of the nation of Israel, and in particular the kingdom of the house of David, was in jeopardy. So they were at the point of extinction, essentially. They were being faced by some very serious threats, by some very powerful neighbours, particularly to their north. And Jeremiah had a job to try and speak to the people, to try and wake them up to this problem that they had. Now, interesting enough, Jeremiah didn't turn to them and say, oh, look, we've got to get our military strong. We've got to reinforce our defences. We've got to take all these sort of practical steps to try and stop the challenge from the north. No, he said, this is a moral issue. And what moral issue did he choose? There was heaps of things going wrong in Jeremiah's day. There were people going off and serving other gods, not even worrying about the God of Israel. And what does he choose? Well, he says, you know what? I'm going to choose this issue of the Sabbath. And so Jeremiah says, if you keep the Sabbath day, then this is going to change the destiny of this nation. It's going to go from this precarious existence that's sitting on a sword's edge, quite literally. Um, it could go to the complete destruction, and unfortunately it actually did go to the complete destruction of this house of uh, David, as it then was constituted. If you keep the Sabbath day, that can all change. There will be, as he says, there'll be princes and kings, and notice that word, kings and princes. What's that saying? Saying there's going to be a king and there's going to be a prince, obviously, that's the son of a king. So he's saying, well, there's going to be not just one king, not just one person to stand up and, and to rule this nation. There's going to be a progression of them. There's going to be a continuation of this line, this family, this dynasty of David to actually continue the kingdom that God had created in the nation of Israel, in the land of Israel. So he says, you know what, the key is the Sabbath day. So why is this particular uh, ritual, if you want to call it that, uh, why is that so important? Well, we'll come back to that in a second. But just in case we miss the emphasis there, have a look at the end of this chapter. Um, so if we look at verse 27, uh, you'll notice, this is just the next few verses after that, that uh, Jeremiah re-emphasizes the point. Uh, so you might have thought they would have got the point, but look at verse 27. But if you will not hearken unto me to hallow the Sabbath day and not to bear any burdens, even entering into the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in the gates thereof and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and it shall not be quenched. You can see the parallels there. Referring to exactly the same behaviour, entering in through the gates of the city, the very uh, city of Jerusalem, the fact that they weren't carrying burdens, those types of things. He's just said exactly the same thing, but in reverse. You might think that's just a repetition, and it is, but it's repeated for a reason. It's repeated because Jeremiah was emphasising this point. He says it hangs in the balance, and what is it, what's going to determine which way this balance goes? The adherence to the Sabbath day. So, park that away. This Sabbath day has some extreme power. Now, what is it about? Why is it so important? Well, 
as actually happens in quite a few of the laws that were written into the law of Moses, sometimes the very key, the very aspect of the law which really opens up the meaning, the real meaning of a particular law or commandment is not the law itself so much, but the exceptions to that law. And the Sabbath day is no exception. The Sabbath day was actually quite a... Uh, interesting observation if you were to say sit back on a hillside somewhere and just look over a Jewish city and observe what happened on the Sabbath day as the sun set on the Friday evening you would notice or you should notice a complete cessation of all activity well not all activity there was some parts of that nation that would actually be more busy than anywhere else and obviously if you're particularly looking over, say, the city of Jerusalem, for example, you would notice that it was the temple that actually became more busy during the Sabbath day than anything else. And here's just a couple of examples. So the daily sacrifices, uh, for those of you that are familiar, um, you would know that, of course, every day there was a daily sacrifice offered. Uh, in fact, there was two daily sacrifices offered. But on the Sabbath day, that workload doubled. And in fact, look at the way Notice there that the, the quote I've got supporting that is not in the Old Testament. It's not a reference in the law. We could get you one if you'd like. Uh, but it's actually Jesus Christ himself who picks this up. Look at Matthew chapter 12. So Jesus Christ himself talks about this idea that there is an exception to the Sabbath day law. He'd actually been sort of pulled up by some of the current Sabbath day adherers in his day. And this is how he responds. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 5. He challenges them and says, well, go back to your own law. He says, have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath day the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Pretty strong language. They profane the Sabbath. They break the Sabbath law. But notice what he says, and are blameless. So this was not a breaking of the law in a rebellious way. It was actually a breaking of the law in a way that was intended. And as a consequence, uh, Jesus Christ is highlighting that to make people understand the real significance of the Sabbath day. So, what is really the lesson that comes from the Sabbath? The lesson from the Sabbath is not just completely stopping your work, but it's stopping a certain type of work. So as you can see here, it's meant to be a stopping of all secular work, of all our daily chores and all our daily activities. But one thing that was definitely not meant to stop, and that was anything that was associated with godly activity. And in fact, these examples here are an illustration of the fact that we should actually take the opportunity of a rest day, of a Sabbath day, to redouble our efforts when it comes to things that are related to seeking God. And so we've used the daily sacrifice as an example there. The replacement of the showbread, uh, for those of you that are familiar with that, obviously there was this showbread that was uh, actually presented to God as a bit of an illustration of the labours of the people of Israel. But it had to get changed every week. And which day did they choose to change it? The Sabbath day. Now, why would they choose the Sabbath day? If the Sabbath day was meant to be a day of rest, they could have chosen any of the other six days to, to swap that over. Uh, but it's the Sabbath day that that occurred on 
And again, uh, circumcision. Circumcision was actually meant to happen on the eighth day. And the key point that, again, Jesus Christ made in John chapter 7 is the point that if that eighth day happened to fall on the Sabbath day, they didn't say, oh, actually, I'm going to push that on for another day. Uh, they said no. The circumcision law took priority over the Sabbath day. And so you can see there there's a number of exceptions where religious activities took priority over the Sabbath day. So this prohibition on work was definitely not meant to apply to anything to do with religious activity and uh, coming to appreciate God's work with us. But the unfortunate thing is, despite that being the lesson of the Sabbath, there were many times throughout history where the Sabbath day was misunderstood. And in fact, it's actually going, it went to both extremes. Uh, and so here's one example, Amos chapter 8. So Amos chapter 8, actually it's God talking to his people again. Uh, and he's actually reading their thoughts. He's telling them what they think about the Sabbath day. And as you can see there, it says, they say in their mind, this is their thoughts, when will the new moon be gone? and that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath, that we may set forth the wheat, making the ephah small, and the shekel great, and falsifying the balance by deceit. So you can see here, it's sort of the mindset of a deceitful trader, someone who wants to make money, someone who doesn't mind sort of putting their finger on the scale to make sure that they uh, always get the better end of the deal. Well, essentially, uh, what God is saying here is they, they stopped. They, they, they didn't do any work on the Sabbath day. But all that Sabbath day, instead of actually thinking about God and all the things he'd done for them, they were sitting there thinking, oh, how long is this going to be until it's over? I just want to get back and get into my labor. Well, basically what God is saying is that's wrong. Sure, you might be actually doing what I commanded you. That is stopping uh, your labor. But look at your attitude. Your spirit is nothing like what I was intending it to be. So there's an example where people were obeying the letter of the law. They were stopping their labor but they weren't doing anything, uh, weren't living by the spirit that God had intended. And in fact, if you look through Amos, uh, let's have a look at Amos. It's quite clear of God's um, sort of disappointment with the attitude that they had taken. Again, just like it was in Jeremiah, uh, God made it quite clear that he was unhappy with that, uh, that way of thinking. So Amos chapter 8. Uh, just have a look at, say, the introduction to that particular chapter. Um, so Amos chapter, let's look at chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end is come upon my people Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. So God is pronouncing judgment upon Israel. And he then goes on to explain why. And that's why. Because they had this, sure, they were keeping the Sabbath day, but they had this incorrect attitude towards the Sabbath day. So interesting enough, he says there that uh, they would actually uh, no longer be able to worship God in their temple. So the Sabbath day was an opportunity for them to worship God. And basically, God says, well, their opportunities to worship, they're going to turn into sort of solemn uh, mourning and weeping for all the things that had come across them. Another one there to also look at in the same chapter, um, have a look at verse 11. 
So again, God's pronouncing judgment on his people for the, their misunderstanding of the Sabbath. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Now, how ironic is that? Again, Sabbath day was intended to be an opportunity for them to hear the words of God, to be able to, without distraction, focus solely on God's word. And God turns around and says, well, you're not doing that. You're not keeping my Sabbath with right spirit. So what's going to happen? What's the poetic justice, the judgment that is going to be implemented upon them? Well, the answer is that they'll actually no longer be given an opportunity. They'll have a famine. They will starve uh, for the fact that they miss out on the word of God. So you can see there how God is reprimanding them for that misinterpretation of the Sabbath or misunderstanding about how the Sabbath should be implemented. But that wasn't the only misunderstanding that we can glean as we go through history, uh, particularly Jewish history, given the fact that it's, it's Jewish law. Um, we go to a time period by, uh, which is recorded in the book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah actually is after the prophets that we've spoken about, after Jeremiah, after Amos. Basically, this is after Israel was destroyed, like was predicted in those prophecies that we just mentioned. But what happened, God actually allowed them to come back out of their destruction, out of their captivity. And Nehemiah was a key person that was involved with restoring the nation and recreating the, particularly the city of Jerusalem. But one of the key things that he had to do, of course, was to recreate the religious observances that they had gotten out of practice of throughout that period of time that they'd been out of the land. And this is one of the things that he, he observed. So Nehemiah chapter 13, he says, he finds that unfortunately in those days, I, in, I saw in Israel some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaths and lading asses, all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. So there's Nehemiah's response to the fact that these people were not keeping the Sabbath day. In this case, it wasn't about the wrong attitude. It was actually about the fact that they just overridden the, even the mechanical operation of the Sabbath day. And look at them. He says, I testified against them. Uh, so Nehemiah was in no doubt whatsoever as to whether they should be doing that. And, and look at the way it describes that as well. He describes all the details of what was happening on the Sabbath day, but in summary, at the end of the verse, it says, and they brought in victuals. Now, you might think, well, how harmless is that? They're just getting in things to eat. It's not as though they're sort of uh, making millions or anything of that nature. They're just getting food. Surely there'd be justification to say, well, we need to get some food. Well, no. The Sabbath day principle is far more important than that. And I said, even something as... Uh, as banal and as normal and every day as getting food, they can wait. They can wait until the Sabbath day is over. Um, and in fact, if you read through Jeremiah chapter 13, you'll find that uh, Nehemiah makes no bones about that and he makes it quite clear that, uh, again, this is something that actually is important in the overall destiny of the nation of Israel. Let's have a look at that. I think that's important because it builds on that comment that we took from Jeremiah. You might have thought that I was sort of overplaying that Jeremiah uh, prophecy. But if you look at Nehemiah, you'll find that he basically says the same thing. So Nehemiah chapter 13. <clears throat> and let's particularly look at verse 16 to 17. 
Okay, there dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which bought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath day unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. And then I contended with the nobles of Judah, and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do, and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And then it goes on and talks about the very strict uh, controls that uh, Nehemiah placed on the gates of Jerusalem to prevent that from happening. So again, he says, this is something that can actually totally change the destiny of Israel. And the very fact that these people had to come back and to rebuild their city was because of their father's misappreciation or lax attitude towards keeping the Sabbath day. So, um, we've spoken about uh, some of the ways in which the Sabbath was misinterpreted. Well, let's have a look now at the way that the Sabbath was meant to be held and observed. Not only the mechanics of it, I guess the mechanics of it are quite clear. Uh, an absence of work, particularly work for ourselves, not necessarily work for God. However, let's have a look at the Spirit. And we're going to read now from Isaiah 58. So, this quotation quite a lengthy one but bear with us here God says is it such a fast that I have chosen so he starts with a few questions a day for a man to afflict his soul is it to bow down his head as a bulrush to spread sackcloth and ashes under him wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord is this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness to undo the heavy burdens to let the oppressed go free and to uh, and that you break every yoke and continue on is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry that thou bring the poor that are cast out into thy house when thou seest the naked that thou cover him and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh so you can see there god's presenting two different alternatives he's saying you can have one alternative where you're sort of just doing the keeping the sabbath day for your own glory or for your own suffering i guess in a sense but he says, no, what I really wanted you to do, I wanted you to care for other people. It's not about you sacrificing just for the sake of sacrificing. It's a case of you sacrificing so that you can help other people. And again, this is just another illustration of that concept we've already dealt with. And that is, it's not just about you stopping your work just so that you can glory in the fact that you lost X thousand dollars because you didn't work over the weekend. It's about you actually saying, no, I'm going to take that sacrifice that I'm prepared to make for God and I'm going to use that to actually um, give that to other people, to actually make their lives easier. And let's have a look at Isaiah 58, because again, I think uh, there's some other references that uh, highlight the importance of this attitude and the lesson that really needs to be brought out here. So Isaiah 58, and uh, let's particularly have a look at uh, verses 13 and 14, because up until now, you might be thinking, well, hang on, he hasn't even mentioned Sabbath. He's talking about a fast, but... What does that mean? Well, let's have a look at verses 13 and 14. So after posing those questions, God then says, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, holy of Yahweh, honourable, thou shalt honour him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor, thinking thy, thinking, nor speaking thine own words, then... Thou shalt delight thyself in Yahweh, in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and to feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. 
for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So again, he's essentially leaving us with this same challenge that Jeremiah and other prophets, as we've said, had left the nation of Israel. He says, if you keep the Sabbath day, your destiny is going to be exponentially transformed. But why? Well, what was the real essence of the Sabbath, the fast that he's been referring to? Well, the essence of this Sabbath is to stop doing your own pleasure and instead do God's will, do God's pleasure and give him glory. That is the kernel or the underlying idea of the Sabbath day. Well, did anyone understand that? Did anyone really, of all the people that God spoke to about the Sabbath day, we've seen plenty of examples, whole nations, uh, the whole nation of Israel who didn't really understand what God was teaching. Well, one person who really understood the idea there was Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. And it's very interesting to notice what Jesus Christ did on the Sabbath day. And again, I think he's actually highlighting the same lesson that we've just, excuse me, just learnt from Isaiah 58. He said that the Sabbath day was a day to be kept holy. It was to be observed. But that didn't mean do absolutely nothing. In fact, you'd actually say that God, uh, Jesus Christ was actually quite active on the Sabbath day. Uh, look at some of the things he did. I mean, there's a lot of healings. So he healed the lame man. He healed an unclean man with an unclean spirit. He healed a woman with a fever. Actually, that was uh, Simon's mother-in-law. So you might have heard of Simon Peter, uh, one of the fairly well-known disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, his mother-in-law was sick with a fever. And on the Sabbath day, uh, Jesus Christ healed her. The part that I find really interesting about that healing is what did uh, uh, Simon's mother-in-law do as soon as she was healed? She got up and she started ministering to them. And that, that, if that is not an understanding of the Sabbath day principle, I don't know what is. She's saying the role of the Sabbath day is not to stop work, it's just to help other people. And she'd obviously invited uh, Jesus to come back to their house uh, during that time. So when, as soon as she was healed, she's back into the Sabbath spirit. She's back into giving food to the hungry, caring for those people that needed some sort of assistance. Um, the withered hand incident that we've got there is really an, inter really an interesting one. Uh, we won't go into it. But uh, that was actually a setup. So uh, basically what had happened is the Jews didn't like Jesus' brand of behaviour during the Sabbath days. They actually thought that healing was too active. It was too much like work. And so they said that uh, shouldn't, he shouldn't actually be healing on the Sabbath day. So what they did is they got this man with this known illness, this withered hand. So obviously some sort of uh, dysfunction with the operation of his hand. And they put him right in front of Jesus where they knew Jesus was going to be on the Sabbath day. And Jesus Christ calls them out on it. He pulls the man out of the congregation, out of the crowd, and he says to the people, to the Jews, what should I do on the Sabbath day? Should I do good or should I do evil? So notice the question that Jesus Christ asked in that incident. He wasn't saying, should I work or should I not work? That's not the issue. That's not the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is about the type of work that you do, whether you're doing God's work or whether you're doing man's work. And as soon as you frame that question in that context, there was no question to answer. The Jews couldn't say anything. They couldn't, uh, couldn't really say, oh, you can't heal anyone, because obviously healing is a good work. So that, again, is Jesus Christ showing that he understood exactly that principle that came out of Isaiah 58. Um, feeding the 5,000. Again, interesting one. Uh, remember in Isaiah 58, it said, give your bread to the hungry. 
Well, there was 5,000 of them. 5,000 people came and spoke to Jesus Christ and they'd been there for quite some time. And Jesus Christ says, I'm going to feed them. I'm going to give them bread. So again, classic illustration of the spirit of the Sabbath, of truly understanding what it means to uh, serve God. Not to stop work altogether, but to do God's work on that Sabbath day. And there's plenty of other ones there. Very interesting, each of those illustrations to see how Jesus Christ understood this concept of the Sabbath day. Well, one of the concepts that uh, might have come out of our discussion thus far is, well, if this Sabbath day is so important, if it's quite literally something our life depends upon, then does that mean we have to keep it today? Does that mean that uh, we should have actually rested yesterday? Well, that's not a new question. In fact, this question actually came up amongst the early Christian believers. Um, and if you look at Acts chapter 15, you'll see that there was quite some contention, contention around that particular issue. So as you can see there, brief quote from Acts chapter 15. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees. So these are actually the people that were steeped in the law. They had a very good understanding of the law and they had a very strict application of that law. So they would have been very familiar with the idea of the Sabbath and they would have been the ones that uh, adhered to it very strictly. Uh, they would have been the, the predecessors of those that made sure you didn't press the lift button in Israel. Um, so... The Pharisees, they, they believed, so they actually believed on Jesus Christ though, but they said, even though they sort of they were from the Pharisees, they believed on Jesus Christ, so they'd sort of made the transition across, they said that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. So basically they turn around saying, you should keep the law of Moses. Now, obviously, as we said, if you're going to keep the law of Moses, there's one thing you have to keep, and that is the Sabbath. Uh, so circumcision was one thing, uh, but the Sabbath day would have definitely been in there as well. So this issue comes up, and in fact, if you read through Acts chapter 15, there's a lot of discussion, there's a conference, people get together, they have a discussion, and they actually produce a press release, I guess you could call it, like a summary of, of what they, their decisions were coming out of that conference. They said, these are the decisions that we're going to uh, make out of this conference. And the answer was... There was four or five things, and you know what wasn't on the list? The Sabbath day. There was no reference to keeping of the Sabbath day. There's a few other things that came out of the law of Moses, and they said, no, there's no need to actually keep the Sabbath day. And in fact, if you're looking at another quote, uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verses 16 to 17, we won't turn it up now, uh, but that quite clearly says that, it says that Paul, another, another believer in Jesus Christ, uh, wrote to the believers in, in Colossians and said, uh, don't let people judge you with respect to a Sabbath day. So what he's saying is, if you don't keep the Sabbath day and other people do, then they shouldn't turn around and judge you for that. So the key point that we need to note here is, despite the fact that the Sabbath day was incredibly important, uh, it's not something that we mechanically need to keep today. But the key point to note is, the spirit of the Sabbath day continues on. Now, the one thing that I wanted to emphasise about the spirit of the Sabbath day is not only this idea that we should always reserve time to make sure that we can work God's works rather than just being totally preoccupied with our works. And just as an aside, of all the generations throughout history, our generation is probably the one that is most at danger of being totally preoccupied with our own activities. We've got things that are activities and, and uh, technology that's just so addictive that we really uh, can very easily get totally overrun by working our own work and completely leaving God out of the picture. 
So the Sabbath day principle, I think, is still very current in that sense. Not in the literal sense, not in the sense that we should change the way our lifts work, uh, but we should actually make sure that we're keeping that spirit alive, that we should always give priority, not necessarily just on one day either, that all the way through our life we should always give priority to working God's work rather than our own. But there's another beautiful and remarkable way in which this Sabbath day taught lessons to the people that truly understood its meaning. The Sabbath day is actually a prophecy, and probably you would have gleaned that from our reading tonight in Hebrews chapter 4. Just wanted to quote a section out of that. Uh, It says there, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Let us labour therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So he basically says there that it's still important for us to look for the rest, the, the future rest which we can gain through God. You might think, well, what's this got to do with Sabbath day? Well, as Brother Andy pointed out, The idea of rest comes all the way through that passage. In fact, if you look at chapter 3 and 4, there's nine references to rest throughout that passage. Uh, You might set yourself the exercise of going through and finding those. Uh, But it's quite clear that that idea of rest is linked to the idea of the Sabbath day, or at least the seven days of creation, which, as we know, was the basis for the Sabbath day. So early on in Hebrews chapter 4, it actually refers to the fact that God actually rested. um, So verse 4 Uh, it actually refers back to the fact that God rested on the seventh day. And that's the rest it's talking about. So there's the connection with the actual Sabbath. It's saying, well, this is the rest which God is showing to us. But he's actually saying, notice that Hebrews is in the New Testament. So Hebrews was written after Jesus Christ. Even after all of that happened, even after Jesus Christ's work, he's saying to us that there's still a rest to come. So he must be talking about some future time when the believers will actually receive a rest. Now, this is an interesting uh, framework. I'm not saying it's sort of very uh, down to the very day or down to the very year even, uh, but coming back and just thinking for a moment about the process of creation. We've got six days in which the world was created, and then there's this seventh day in which the world in which God rested. That actually sets a bit of a framework for the whole history of the world. Because in six days, the world has been working. It's been uh, going about its business. And yet on the seventh day, God has predicted that there would be a time of rest. And as a consequence, there is a very real sense in which the Sabbath is actually a prediction of a time period in the future, which will be a time of rest. In fact, there's a quotation there from Revelation which talks about a time period when the believers will receive their reward and they will reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. So in our equivalent here, a Sabbath rest, uh, one day in a thousand year plan. So we're told that the rest period will be for a thousand years. And so you can see how that sort of sets a framework for the whole history of the world. But that's just really an aside. There is quite clear references throughout Scripture, and we're not going to go through them now, but there is quite clear references throughout Scripture of a time to come that will be a time of rest. It will be a time of complete change. 
And there's just a few illustrations of the changes that will come across this earth in this time of rest. So there'll be a resolution to all the problems that we currently experience in our existence today. And in summary, uh, the followers of Jesus Christ shortly after his ascension spoke about this time and they used a very interesting phrase. They said, it is called a time of refreshing. So we won't go through all those aspects, but if you wanted to take away one idea tonight as to what that future time is going to be like, it is going to be a time of refreshing. And surely that links our mind to the ideas of a Sabbath, of a rest, of a time to recuperate, and a time to experience the joy of God's uh, kingdom that he's looking to establish on this earth. Well, obviously that leads us with a question. And the question there is, well, we know from Hebrews chapter 4 that not everyone entered into the rest. Unfortunately, the underlying sort of dark theme that runs through Hebrews 4 is that there were some people that did not and were not worthy to enter into that rest. So how do we make sure that we are not part of that group? Well, Paul, in writing Hebrews, actually makes it quite clear that the reason why the people did not enter into that rest is because of one thing. It was because of unbelief. So the question then is, well, what do we have to believe in to make sure that we don't fall with that same example of unbelief? Well, if you remember Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, it says that they believed not the gospel. Now, the gospel is a whole topic in its own right, but if you wanted a very short summary of the ideas of the gospel, it's the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And if you want proof for that, that reference there in Acts chapter 8, again, is the words of the followers of Jesus Christ uh, speaking and preaching about that very thing. Well, we probably understand the aspects to some extent of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is that rest that we've just briefly looked at. But the things concerning the name of Jesus Christ may not be as obvious to us. But... When we actually look at Jesus Christ and his teaching, we find that he has very similar themes. Let's just finish by looking at Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus Christ leaves us with an appeal. So Matthew chapter 11 and beginning at verse 28. He says... Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so what we find there is that Jesus Christ promises the same rest that the Sabbath itself predicted. But notice again, same wording or same concepts illustrated in Hebrews. It's not just a matter of resting. He says, you've got to take a yoke upon you. So there is some work, to use uh, Paul's words in Hebrews chapter 4, labour that you might enter into that rest. So there is, there is some things that we need to do in order to be part of that group that inherits this remarkable rest. And some of those things is understanding and appreciating the importance of this principle of the Sabbath. So we need to set aside times in our life, a time, a dedicated time is a good idea, uh, to set aside time in our life, to actually sit back and to think about God's work in our life. 
That's why the Sabbath day was such an important principle. That's why the destiny of nations could have been changed because of the Sabbath principle, because the Sabbath principle actually opened the gateway. It opened the door for people to truly appreciate the way that God was at working in their lives. Now, if we do the same thing, and if we look into this idea of the gospel, then our destiny too will be changed, and we too will be able to receive that time of rest of which the Sabbath prophesied. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org if you enjoyed the episode then please share it with others until next time may god bless you in your studies and your walk towards god's kingdom amen